Hey everyone, this is Mel from the But Seriously Who Knew podcast, where I have conversations, hear stories and gain wisdom from incredible human beings, because every day is a school day and I just love to learn. But be warned, there may be a touch of swearing. Hello Lisa, how are you? I'm great, how are you? Good, good, very well, thank you and welcome to my podcast. Uh, can you introduce yourself to everybody, please? Sure. And thank you so much for inviting me. I'm really excited that you have this new podcast. <laughs> very well. Um, me too. Bit nervous, but very excited. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, so my name's Lisa Mae Bennett, and I am the author of a book. I, I used to be a new author, but my book is actually going to be one year old on March 31st. Mm. I can't believe it's been almost a year, but the name of my book is My Unfurling, Emerging from the Grip of Anxiety, Self-Doubt, and Drinking. And I am also almost six years sober now. And so my book is, it's a lot about why I felt like I drank in the first place, why I drank too much, and then why I quit. But it's about so much more than that. Uh, it's about the anxiety that I had from a very young age and my lack of self-confidence. And there's a lot in there about my relationship with my mother. So um, it's a very personal book and um, I've made the decision to share it with the world. Yeah. And I've read the book. I read it quite early on. We met, didn't we, through a Facebook group. I think it was a self-publishing one, if I remember rightly, but it was not long after you'd published and before when I was just starting my journey of editing and proofreading and stuff and I mm -hmm. used you very much to gain some knowledge and get advice from you which was brilliant thank you very much um and I read oh, your book welcome. quite early on and loved it it was oh, not something I would have picked up because <laughs> I like a, I like a glass of wine um <laughs> it's not an area I would have necessarily looked to find a book on um but I really mm. enjoyed it because I suffer from anxiety. My daughter suffers from anxiety. So in that way, it was that. And I'm fascinated just by people having, you know, I did a psychology degree. So there's a lot in there that I just found really fascinating. And the drinking aside, it does, but it did make me think and think, oh, maybe I shouldn't enjoy a glass of wine quite so much. But it does, yeah. I, I mean, I really, really enjoyed it. How was it for you writing it? And what made you write it? Right. So, well, you know, it's interesting. I wanted to be a writer since I was around the age of 12 and I was a writing major in college. And I go into this in the book. I got to college and I just went, you know, kind of crazy and, you know, a lot of drinking, a lot of partying. And I didn't really set myself up for the writing career that I wanted. And so, you know, decades went by, they, they go by so fast. And I finally decided to quit drinking and, and getting back to writing was one of my main reasons for quitting drinking. I just awesome. knew, I knew that I couldn't have the career that I wanted to have if I continued drinking. So I, I quit, like I said, almost six years ago now. And I promised myself that I was going to start writing almost immediately. And so I signed up for this six month course where you develop a book proposal. And um, I, it was a great experience, but I was very newly sober. And even though the instructor felt that I had a really strong proposal at the end of the six month course, 
I wasn't quite ready to, to put my work out there yet. So I kind of put that book on the shelf and just went about living my life and doing all the things that I, the other things that I wanted to do in sobriety. And then the pandemic happened a couple of years later. And I was like, okay, this is the time. There's no better time than now. I'm not working. We're in lockdown. Um, so I finally picked the book back up again and started working on it. And so this was the book that you proposed in this writing thing, this writing course. Yes. Okay. Yeah. It was a little different though. The original concept for my book was a lot more sort of in your face and political and um, a lot about how I believe drinking is a feminist issue, which I still do, but I decided I wasn't quite ready to tell that kind of a story. Um, so I focused more just on my personal story and you can sort of make those connections if you make them or not. Um, but I, I wrote it first for myself. It was, it was a really important sort of process for me to deal with some of the issues that are in the book. And then when I was done, I was like, yeah, I think, I think I do have something here that I can share with the world. So um, it went through many edits, many, many edits and <laughs> lots of, they call them beta readers. I'm sure you're familiar with this um, test readers. I, I didn't even know what a beta reader was. No, I just, no, I just knew that I need, I knew that I needed to send it out to some people and ask them if they felt like I really had something worth investing in. Yeah. Um, and then I found out later that you call those people beta readers. Yeah. 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 So can we just go back a bit? The mm -hmm. going into sobriety, what I know you said you, you couldn't write in the way you wanted to because of the drinking. What, if you don't mind, I mean, I know it's all in the mm -hmm. book, so I hope you don't mind talking about it. What no. level of drinking were you at that made you feel, because most of us drink socially. And I, I mean, mm -hmm. I remember years ago drinking most days. Now I don't, I generally, I mean, I'm on holiday, so <laughs> there's, there, there will be a few <laughs> wines and beers consumed. Yeah. At home now, I don't, if I go out, I drink. Whereas it, it did start becoming a nightly issue, not issue at mm -hmm. the time, but I look back and think, mm -hmm. oh, okay, maybe that was a bit much. Um, so I took the decision to not drink as much, but I don't think it was a, it was more, a, I'm not enjoying it as much rather than mm. oh, this is becoming a problem. Um, so yeah, right. what level were you at and what made you suddenly decide, or not maybe suddenly, I don't know, what made mm -hmm. you decide that you wanted to change? Sure. So there's a, there's a term that's become um, more popular over the last couple of years called gray area drinking and um, listeners can, can Google that if they want, and they will find information. It's basically like there's a spectrum. There's people at one end that have absolutely no problem with drinking. And then there's people at the other end that are the people we typically think of who hit a rock bottom and have to do something, um, you know, urgently mm -hmm. about their situation with drinking. And then there's everyone <laughs> in between and I think there are some of us who, because I guess I would I would consider that I was a gray area drinker, which I wasn't physically dependent on it. I didn't experience any kind of withdrawals when I quit, 
but I was very emotionally dependent on it. And it was so woven into my life that there were some things that I couldn't imagine doing without drinking. And I'm a person who tends to overthink things and stress out about things. So I was constantly thinking like, am I drinking too much? Should I not drink tonight? Maybe if I drink tomorrow, then I shouldn't drink then. Like it just was consuming so much headspace because I think some people are absolutely capable of incorporating alcohol into their lives without becoming what, (laughs) what happened to me. But I just, I felt like I just had to think about it too much. It was, it was hard to moderate. Um, I definitely had nights where, you know, maybe a rock bottom was coming eventually. I don't, I don't know. I, you know, had some scary experiences that I talk about in the book. Um, but I never had, you know, one of those experiences that we typically think of when we think of like a rock bottom, like getting arrested or getting fired or losing custody of your children or one of those big things. Um, but I knew that it was affecting the quality of my life. And um, like I said, I, I wasn't doing things that I wanted to do. I'm kind of an adventurous person and I like trying new things, but I kept putting things off Um, because I was either hungover or getting ready to go out and drink. And so, yeah, so I eventually decided that, you know, I had drank long enough for decades and it was time to try something different. Do you think it has helped with your anxieties? Do you think drinking affected, because obviously it is a depressant. We all use it as a crux and, and I definitely have in the past. I've also used it to go out and have fun. But I've also noticed that on the nights I've drunk, um, years and years ago, I'm talking about when I was single before I met my second husband, I can remember going out and not being in the best mood and didn't really want to go out, but decided I'd go around to friends um, before we were due to go out. And I drank quite a bit and my mood went down further because I was not in a great mood to start with. And it definitely enhances whatever mood you're in. Do you think that affected your anxiety as well? Absolutely. And I also feel like it stunted my emotional growth because I, like you said, I leaned on it to make me feel happier. I leaned on it to, if I was in a bad mood and I just wanted to wallow and be angry or sad, I used it to amplify those emotions. Mm -hmm. And so I wasn't really dealing with the things behind these emotions. I was just pouring alcohol on them and then sort of reliving those same problems And I found that when I quit, I had a lot of emotional development to do. I I still do. I mean, I think we all do, but um, I think it really discourages people from finding more organic solutions to, um, to whatever it is that might be troubling them. So for example, you know, self-doubt has been a huge issue with me since I was a kid. And alcohol was, you know, they call it liquid courage for a reason. And so I was, I was using alcohol to sort of feel better about myself at times when I needed to. And as I, when I took it away, I found that I, I just had to start doing things that were difficult without alcohol. And as I did them, I started to build some genuine self-confidence because you do something hard and you realize the world didn't fall apart and you were capable of doing it. And so then you do 
something maybe even a little harder or something further outside your comfort zone. And so I, it was like putting down the alcohol gave me permission to start down that path of, of self-development. Wow. That's amazing. You must feel proud of yourself. I do. I, I, I feel really great. And it's, it's funny sometimes how you do something um, that you're like, why am I afraid of this? This is so stupid. Like I started taking spin class. I had never done indoor cycling before. And the first time I went in there, I was like, oh my gosh, all these people know something. I don't know. I have to set up my bike. They're, they're looking at me. They think I'm stupid. And then when I was done, I was like, ah, I did it. Um, it's such a stupid, small thing. And yet each one of those experiences adds up. And I feel like I robbed myself of those kinds of experiences for a really long time. I I do talk in my book about, there was a part of me that liked being challenged and liked doing hard things. And I did continue to do them even when I was drinking, um, just not to the degree that I wanted to, but there, there was a part of me trying to get out that was like, I want to do challenging things. Yeah. And again, isn't that weird though? Because you say that as liquid drink, liquid courage, drinking is liquid courage, yet you couldn't go and do the things that you're doing now without the liquid courage. I mean, (laughs) yeah. And there were so many things, so many things that I wanted to do that you couldn't really drink with. So (laughs) those, those things got pushed aside while I went out and did the things that you could drink with. Um, so yeah, I'm doing a lot of things right now that, uh, I never could have dreamed I would be doing. And how is it when you go and do the things that you did drink at, like social events? And because we all, if we, if we're social drinkers, regardless of how far mm -hmm. down that gray area we're in or gray, you know, the thought of going out and going to a party or whatever without a drink is quite hard for me it is anyway definitely that that because like I said I didn't have like the physical withdrawals so the the most difficult thing for me was suddenly having all these experiences in my life that had become connected with alcohol and um it was really hard I um like we you know, we have like a little fire pit in our backyard and we used to sit out there. I hasten to add to everybody because I've seen pictures. (laughs) Oh my God, it's a backyard. (laughs) Anyway, sorry. (laughs) Yeah, we we do live on a lake. It's it's incredible. Oh my gosh. Uh, Yeah, no, I love where we live. And you have to come come visit when you're in the US. I'm coming, definitely, definitely. (laughs) Yes, come visit. So, but we used to, you know, in the summer months and early fall, we would make a fire at night and sit out by the fire and drink. And I would bring down a bottle of wine and a glass. And the first, I would say the first two summers that I was sober, I just couldn't even do that anymore. I just couldn't imagine sitting by that fire and not having a drink. Mm -hmm. I finally took down some ice cream one time, which was a disaster because it just melted immediately. (laughs) Um, But so yeah, it's hard and it's hard, um, you know, going out for a nice dinner. Although I have to say, so when I first quit almost six years ago, I wrote this open letter. I posted it on Medium. I wrote this open letter to restaurants and bars, begging them to serve more alcohol-free 
adult options like beyond ginger ale and seltzer and lemonade and it has changed dramatically in the last six years Mm -hmm. i'm not saying anyone listened to my little open letter on medium but um but now if you go into a nice restaurant um or a wine shop you will find a much broader selection of mocktails and alcohol-free options that are a little more sophisticated than than what we used to have to put up with it's it's looking like you're having a drink as well isn't it and I know that sounds a bit silly Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. my daughter were talking the other week when we went out and there's a there is that social pressure of oh why are you having a drink I remember going out on one New Year's Eve and I drank way too much all over Christmas leading up to it got to New Year's (laughs) Eve I went out with a group of friends and I just said I'm going to drive because I don't want another drink. I'm bored of drinking. I'm bored of feeling mm-hmm. crap tomorrow. I just I'm I'm happy. Oh, you're mm-hmm. really miserable. You're not drinking. Blah. I was on the dance floor all night. I didn't stop mm-hmm. dancing. I had a ball, <laughs> but they brought my mood down because I wasn't drinking, and they all thought yeah. I was being miserable. Whereas at least now, as you say, with mocktails and things like that and alcohol-free gins and, you know, wines and stuff. Mm-hmm. You can sit there and look like you're having a drink because if you're sat having a Coke, people judge you, which is so wrong. Right, yeah, it's it's kind of crazy. Like, um, but it, I, you know, I can remember back to my drinking days and feeling awkward when someone wasn't drinking because I had all these thoughts in my mind, like, do I drink too much? What's wrong? What's going on? So, um, yeah. And also, like, I know, obviously, there are some people who don't want to do mocktails and don't want to do alcohol free wine, because they feel like it's triggering. And I fully respect that. Um, But there are other people who will tell you, oh, well, you shouldn't be drinking those, um, because you're just, you know, you're just feeding your old habit. And I, I don't know, to that, I say, like, why do people who drink alcohol get to have all the like sort of sophisticated, interesting drinks and I have to have seltzer with lime? Like that's, that's not right. I, well, if, if I want to drink for you, then that's okay. You make that decision yourself, surely. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, so <laughs> I, um, I recently bought, so a local beer and wine shop near us has now started selling some of the alcohol-free spirits. And I was never a huge, like hard alcohol drinker. I mostly drank wine, but, um, every once in a while I would have like a margarita to start out the night. So, uh, they were selling this alcohol-free tequila. So I bought a bottle of it and I made myself, I found a recipe from the company online for a ginger, alcohol-free ginger margarita and it's delicious and and it definitely tastes like you know an adult beverage yeah um so but but yeah I mean I don't have I don't have to have something like that I'm fine with my seltzer sometimes um but yeah I you know I I don't really miss it anymore but every once in a while I'll do something that I haven't done in a while that was linked with alcohol and I'll be like, oh yeah, this is kind of weird doing this without a drink. Do you think you will ever drink again? Or do you think, I don't think it would so. be a slippery slope or are you happy enough not? So why would you do it? What's what's your right. thought about it? I don't I don't think I will. I don't think I don't think it 
would offer me anything, um, like just having one or two drinks, like what would that, what would that even achieve? Um, I, I think, I think that I've learned how to relax and have fun without having a drink. Um, I mean, every once in a while I think about it and, but this is what, this is the trap that a lot of people fall into. Cause after you don't drink for a while, you think I could moderate. I think I could moderate. And I'm, I'm a member of a lot of groups online and, you know, yeah. Once you start thinking, um, usually the answer is no, you can't <laughs> moderate. Yeah, um, like anything and- like that, I suppose, like smoking. I mean, my husband does smoke when we're on holiday and mm-hmm. he doesn't now smoke the rest of the time. He did smoke when I first knew him and up until his cancer diagnosis, he smoked. Um, and he stopped the minute he had his cancer diagnosis. Um, but now he likes a smoke with a beer kind of thing. I mean, that's mm-hmm. so he says, mm-hmm. I'll just do that when we go on holiday. And I'm like, as long as you can do that, yeah. which he does. Yeah. But then that it, it stretches to yeah. being on holiday rather than just <laughs> when we're on holiday, having a beer in the evening we'll get up in the morning and he'll have a cigarette or that means he has to like roll ups tobacco, but he'll have a, a cigarette. And I'm like, hang on a minute. You're not having a beer. The deal was <laughs> when you had a beer, yeah. day, which, but yeah. we're on holiday a lot now. Obviously we're both kind of, you know, yeah. early retirement, <laughs> we have a lot of holidays. So you can't, <laughs> can't do that. That's too much. You've got to moderate it. So when we went on the cruise, he literally had, I reckon in the, in the 15 days, probably under 10 cigarettes and if he can do mm-hmm. that and he really mm-hmm. enjoys it and he really does I'm I'm okay with that mm-hmm. but you know let's let's be sensible yeah. about how much you can moderate it right right well I I used to smoke too I quit smoking like 13 years ago right. and I I do I still every once in a while think like oh what would it be like to have just one cigarette yeah. um, but then I, I'm like yeah like what would that achieve and then I would just want to smoke more. Um, yeah, no, and I, I, and yeah, and I agree. I mean, I used to smoke as a teenager, never really smoked as an adult, but a friend of mine still smoked up till fairly recently, a couple of years ago. Again, she still smokes on holiday occasionally, mm, but stops mm. when she goes home. So, you know, right, you can right. moderate it. And when she yeah. used to smoke menthols every now and then, <laughs> if I'd had a few to drink, or was like, I can remember the night before my I was due to get, have you got cancer or haven't you my diagnosis I Mm. smoked a few but that Mm. it puts me off for a a year two years I can have one or two and then I'm done and then I go I've got like another one so I really can have yeah yeah um and I know that but yeah but then I wasn't a smoker really so um well and I I walked by someone on the street recently who was smoking and I couldn't stand the smell. So I don't know, maybe I can't even smoke anymore. I don't know this. I was like, oh, oh I can't believe <laughs> that you like all over me. It's pretty minging, isn't it? Really? When you think about uh, it, it's pretty disgusting. Well, that's how my husband and I finally quit. We moved. And as we were moving into the new place and we were unpacking stuff, the stuff smelled like smoke. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's horrible. And so that was the first step. So we started smoking outside. So we were no longer allowed to smoke inside the house. So we'd be out there in the winter on our little balcony, like standing there freezing in the snow, like smoking, because we refused to smoke inside the house anymore. And a couple steps later, then finally we quit. I mean, it's crazy, <laughs> isn't it? What you put yourself through. 
to do that. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Yes. I mean, there were people yep. on the cruise. We were in the Arctic Circle and they're sat outside at minus 10, mm-hmm. 15. And they're smoking. <laughs> like, what are you doing? You're crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So going back to writing your book, mm-hmm. um, how was the process for you? Did you find it cathartic? Did you find it easy, difficult, emotional? What was what was the process like? So first of all, as a writer, as someone who, you know, has wanted to be a writer almost my whole life, you would think I would have a better process, but I don't. <laughs> so um, I am very anti-outline. I my My problem with trying to outline something before I write it is that the outline becomes so... Um, involved that it's practically like the piece itself and so like what's the point of that so I I what I did and because this book was so personal to me that's why I did it this way I just sat down and I wrote whatever I felt like reading or writing that day and so each time I sat down I just wrote what was on my mind but the problem was at the end then I had all these chapters that were just a mess. They weren't in any semblance of an order. So I had to print them out and go through them and try to figure out like where, where they should go. And I ended up, I put this white paper on the wall and I had a whole bunch of different colored post-its with the names of the chapters on them. And I kept moving them around. And then I ended up just ordering a giant whiteboard, which I still have. That's like on a stand that like rotates around. So I moved the post-its to that. And eventually the book took shape and I ended up organizing it into six sections and but but I continually because my book went through about eight edits and um I was like right up into the very end I was like oh this chapter's in the wrong section it needs to get moved or ooh this is a big jump I need to write another section here, another couple pages to help like bridge this gap. So it it was a lot of work, but it was fun. I I I like organizing. I like mm-hmm. doing those kinds of things. So mm-hmm. I I found it fun. Um, but with the second book that I'm writing now, um, about the self publishing process, I did do an outline beforehand, and I forced myself to write a very sparse outline and I suppose it's myself. a bit more structured isn't it because you're it's kind of an instruction manual up to a point whereas the other one was a flow of your thoughts really yeah yeah, yeah. It, they're very different although I do write in the in book number two which is about three quarters of the way done um I I do write about my personal experiences with self-publishing because I think there's a lot to be learned from how I went through the process, Mm -hmm. but, um, but yeah, it's, it's way more, I'm, I'm way more organized this time around. Yeah. It's a very difficult one, isn't it? Because like you say, you went through eight edits. It's where do you stop? Um, I've, (laughs) I've connected with someone else who's literally theirs is about to be published in the next couple of weeks. And, um she got me to read it and I suggested some things to her and stuff so a bit like a beta reader um mm. but it's it's where do you stop you could I mean I kept reading mine I got other people reading it. I got other people editing it proofreading it but eventually you mm. just have to go and here you go this is it this is for all its faults um yeah and there yep. will be faults and I haven't actually you know what? I haven't even read mine because I daren't read it I flick through it occasionally to do TikTok videos or you know something on Instagram 
And there's one bit on there that's not formatted quite right. And I keep thinking, I really need to go in and sort that out. But I've got all these books printed and I think, well, who cares? Mm. That, you know, mm. I dare, and, I, and I haven't sat down and actually read a physical copy of my book because I don't want to see the mistakes. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, so I have had to re-upload my book to Amazon like multiple times, like maybe two, two or three times at the most, I guess. Um, to correct some errors that weren't caught the first time around. And it's interesting. Another um, self-published author reached out to me and said, oh, I read your book. I loved it, but here are some errors I caught. And so I, you. Corrected, the, <laughs> I corrected those and, and re-uploaded it. And then, so I just finally created an audiobook version of my book. Super exciting. And it came out. It came out in January. I decided not to narrate it. Um, a lot of people were like, oh, you should narrate it yourself. But I am such a perfectionist. Um, and I pictured myself like rereading the same page or the same chapter, like over and over and over and over again. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to hire someone to do it. And it was interesting though, because when she sent me the audio files, I was listening to her and reading the physical book while I was listening to her to make sure that she had said everything right. Mm -hmm. And gosh darn it, if I didn't catch like three more problems in there. And <laughs> and it, it was funny because one of only one of them was a true like mistake that someone reading it would notice. The other two were factual errors that only I would know were wrong and I was like how did that slip through <laughs> um you like you're expecting to read when you're proofreading yep. editing your own book yep. don't you yeah so um but I was I was glad that I had done that more recent read through um because it had been quite a few months since I had read it and listening to her the narrator's voice who did a great job by the way her name's Lisa Bozak and she was amazing um, listening to her voice and reading it at the same time was a really, uh, interesting experience. And I'm, I'm glad, glad I got to go through it. Do, do, does it sound like her story when you listen to it or does it still sound like your story? It still sounds like my story, but you know, one of the most interesting things, um, is she like, she's an actor, she's a voice actor, but she's, she's an actor. And so sometimes she put a different spin on a line than the way I would have read it. And nine times out of 10, I was like, I like her read better. Right. Um, I, there were some reads that I was like, Oh, I wouldn't have thought to read it like that. And I, I really liked her interpretation. You know, it's funny. There was only one, like I said, nine times out of 10, that one time out of 10, where I didn't like the way she read something. It was funny because it was just the word party. And <laughs> I, I like, I just, the way I just said it was the way I would say it in my head. But we were emailing back and forth and I was trying to <laughs> describe to her how to say party and she would record it. And I would be like, nope, that's not it. And finally she's like, can you just record it and send it to me? So I literally had to record myself saying party and yeah. then send it to her so that she got what I was looking for. It was kind wow. of funny. <laughs> wow. See, I, that's that's my next project. I'd like to do it myself. 
but I'm not very confident, it, you know, if I'm reading just a little passage for social media, I feel like I'm asking a question at the end of every sentence, the way my voice goes up and I'm not mm. very natural at doing it. Um, no, no. So yeah, I, I need to, I need to have a play and see whether I can do it. Um, yeah. Whether I'll go down the same route as you at some point, I don't know. Well, it was fun because, and I'm not like trying to plug Amazon or anything here, but um they have this thing called ACX and you go on and you, you um, post like the first couple pages of your book or whatever you want mm-hmm. that people who are auditioning to read. So you basically post what's called an audition script and, and an announcement about your book and that it's available and you're looking for a narrator. And I got like 47 auditions That's for my book. And it was fascinating listening to all the different people. I mean, some people were immediately like, no. <laughs> um, and and no offense to them. They just didn't sound anything like me. They yeah, yeah. Either, they either sounded like too sophisticated or too young. Like I, as much as I would like to think I'm still in my twenties, I am not. So um, yeah, so it was really fun listening to like all 47 of these different voices reading my book. So if you do end up going that route, um, it yeah. is kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah. And how's it going, the audio? Are, are people listening? Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm not. So here's the thing I struggle with in general. So when you self-publish and even when you're published by a publisher, you have to do marketing. Like oh, you, yeah, absolutely. Otherwise, people don't know your book exists. And I talk about this in, in book number two that I, I'm, I'm going to finish this one any day now, I swear. <laughs> any day. But, but cause you're my accountability partner. Yeah, and I, I know because it kept saying, come on then, how are you getting on? And then you're like, oh, I'm uh, ready. <laughs> I, yeah, I did. I did have to stop working on it for a I while, <laughs> but, um, I've been a little busy. I took on a part-time job that I didn't have before, but anyway, so, um, oh my gosh. I've lost my train of thought. <laughs> what were we talking about? <laughs> what were we, we are going to have to cut this part. Oh, menopause. That's what it is. That's that's my excuse. Menopause, maybe a chemo brain and a bit of an alien in my head. So yeah, I have no idea where that was going. No so idea. let's see. We, we were talking about self-publishing because I brought up my self-publishing book. Oh, marketing. 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 You've got to okay. do marketing. Okay, so I'll I'll be silent for a couple seconds and then you can. Oh, like, we'll leave it as it is. Insert it back this in. Is, this is how we talk. This is <laughs> this is this is life, isn't it? <laughs> so you do you do have to do your own marketing, and it's it's hard. It's um like you have to find the time in the day to do it. You have to get up the guts to like pitch yourself to podcasts and go into local shops and ask them if they want to sell your book. There's just, there's so much involved in marketing and sometimes I don't have the energy to do it or it's not my top priority. I've got something else. So I've, I've kind of scaled back my expectations in general for my book. Uh Um, and so the same thing, the same thing would apply to the audio book. Like if I told you the exact numbers, there might be people that would be like, wow, that doesn't sound like very much, but I'm, I'm pleased. Yeah. Like in my mind, in my mind, if I sell an average of at least one book a day, mm-hmm. I'm happy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've, I've made back 
I have all these spreadsheets. I've I've made back the initial um, cost of producing the book, like the editing and the cover design and the formatting and the proofreading and all of that. I've made back that money. Wow. Now I went I went a little crazy. Um, so I've worked at a couple events and I've sold my book at events and I have a table. And so I bought a tablecloth and a branded runner and I bought all these decorations for the table. And so I, I went a little crazy spending money on that. Now that stuff can be used over and over again. So it's not like it goes away, but, um, but yeah, I haven't covered all those costs no. yet. <laughs> no, it's, um, a, I mean, it's a lot, isn't it? And as you say, it's hard work. It's really hard mm-hmm. work. It blows my mind though. I said to Lauren yesterday, I went, Oh, sold a book. And, you know, another book today and so many pages have, have been read today because now I'm again, after chatting mm-hmm. to you, it's now my book is now on Kindle Unlimited as as yours is still. Yes. Um, and it blows my mind. I'm like, oh, I wonder if that's two people are reading the whole book or I wonder if 10 people are reading part of the book. You know, it's, it's yep. fascinating to me. Yep. People are picking up my book and I'm not actually mm-hmm. doing a great deal. How are why are they picking up my book that's amazing but it's yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a weird feeling isn't it that someone's reading and especially because they're so mine and yours are so personal to us and so mm-hmm. revealing and open and just literally bearing our souls in this books that it's quite yeah it's it's amazing that someone's just picking up your book either physically or on their kindle they're they're choosing to read it it's, it's amazing it it is and i and i'm so glad because i think you have the same kind of story where you don't just want people to read it to make you feel good that someone's reading your book but like you want to help people you want yeah. them to know that they're not alone and so whenever i see someone reading my book i'm like oh i really hope that this gave them something useful that even if it just even if all it did was make them feel not alone I, I hope that that's, you know, what I achieved with my book. So yeah, I feel, I feel really good when I see um, that someone's ordered it or that someone's reading it on Kindle Unlimited. And um, yeah, as you should though, it's quite, I mean, you're quite inspiring um, to me in this fact that you're keeping going. And, and again, it was you that then inspired me to do the journal and things for other people. Oh, and now I'm thinking, you know, I started writing a little bit of book three last night, not really sure, uh-huh. it's, but it is that, that continuing and it is a buzz, isn't it? It's the, it's the buzz of it. Um, and knowing that someone's enjoying, hopefully what you've written. Yeah. Well, you know, I got a text a couple days ago or maybe a week ago from an old boss of mine who I really enjoyed working for. And she said that she is writing a book now. And I was like, oh, cool. And she thought of me because she's seen my many, many posts on social media, I guess, about my book. Mm -hmm. And so I, because she's in the early stages, I went ahead and sent her my 75% complete (laughs) second book because I thought there might be some information in there that could be of use to her. Um, so I'm, I'm really hoping to finish that soon. So I can start sending it out to beta readers Mm -hmm. because I think my goal is to get it in the hands of beta readers who are early in the process of writing their first books so that it, it can hopefully help them while they're helping me by reading it. Yeah. And they'll be able to see whether it's runs in the order it needs to be and everything. Right. You've missed any. Right. Like, I mean, 
there's there's no way to answer every question about self-publishing in one book. There's just no way. But I but I hope that it answers enough questions that they can then go out and find the rest of the information that yeah it would be impossible to fit in one book. Definitely. Who inspires you? Oh my goodness. Inspire you. (laughs) (laughs) Um lots of people inspire me. You know, um somebody asked me this recently and I I belong to this fitness studio in um I live in a kind of smallish town. We have a small downtown and there's a fitness studio there and that's where I go and I take um dance class now and spin class and yoga and the owner of that studio is this woman who she's one of these people. I don't know how she does it. She has three kids. She has her own business. She also works another job doing marketing for a company. And she's just like, she does all this stuff. And I know that I will never have the level of energy that she has, but it's at least something to like <laughs> aspire to. And and she's been very helpful with my book. She was really excited about it. I, I joined the gym right around the time that I guess right before the book came out. And so she read it really early on and loved it. And so she sells it at the fitness studio and she held um, a little signing for me um, last May on the anniversary of my fifth year of sobriety. So we did a little book signing at, at the fitness studio and she's very active in the local community, which is something that I'd really like to start doing more of. I've done a lot of marketing online, but not as much yeah. in the local community. So um, I admire her. There's another woman, another small businesswoman in the area who is also, I, I don't know, small businesswomen are just, they they amaze me. Mm-hmm. Um, several years ago, before the pandemic, my husband and I were going to go into business selling, making and selling kombucha. We had been making kombucha in our kitchen and we thought we were starting to get pretty good at it. And so I had I had, had some people try it and they were like, oh yeah, this is really good. I would pay money for this. So I started taking this school of food class to learn about opening a small food related business. And I had done tons of research. I was like, so like, I was excited about this. Mm-hmm. And so we went to meet this woman who runs a commercial kitchen where people who have food trucks and other small food businesses like rent kitchen space from her because due to the um, local food laws, like there are certain foods that you can no longer produce in your kitchen if you're selling them to people. And kombucha is one of them. And so we met with this woman and um, she was just amazing. She had this great energy and great spirit and she helps a lot of local people get their businesses up and running by, you know, having this kitchen space that they can rent from. So we ended up not going forward with the kombucha business. And it's probably for the best because right after we decided not to go forward, the pandemic hit and (laughs) probably not a time that people want to be buying independent, independently made kombucha from someone. So, um, but, but I loved that I got to meet this woman through that process. Um, The, I've found that when you undertake something like writing a book or starting or even just contemplating starting a small business, this is the thing I love. Your world gets so much bigger. Mm -hmm. You 
meet all these amazing people. And look, at, I'm talking to you and you're in Spain okay. and I I'm met, I met, you. <laughs> I, I met you, I met you online. I, yeah. I met, we both used Bob to help us with the formatting of our books. Bob lives in my hometown where I grew up, but I met him online. Like mm -hmm. he didn't live there when I was growing up, but he lives there now. Yeah. And it's just yeah. incredible how much your world expands when you do something like this. Totally. I mean, I, my daughter's a, it's, her business is online. She's a, a business coach. And because of circumstances that happened in the last week or so with her personally, but it's her friends online that she has reached out to because they have become good friends. She hasn't met most of them in person. They chat mm -hmm. all day, every day on the phone about things, you know, um, and our clients have been super supportive of her and stuff. And it's, it, yeah, it's amazing how, like you say, the world's quite small now as well, but it opens up a big world as well. It's a, it's a weird, yeah. be, I mean, it can be a horrible place to be sometimes, but it can be an amazing place to be. Definitely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I'm just, I'm inspired by all the people that I've met along the way on this journey. It's, it's, been, it's been a really incredible experience. Yeah. That's amazing. What about goals and dreams for the future then? More books after book two or? I hope, I hope so. I had an idea for book three and I still haven't decided yet if that idea is mm -hmm. going to get written or not. Interesting. Um, Message me, let me know. <laughs> I will. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I think it's a great idea. I don't know if it's enough for a book. It could be. Maybe I should just start writing it and find out after I finish. After I finish, absolutely, book two. do not stop now. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I do wonder. So when I first wanted to be a writer from childhood, I thought I was going to write fiction, and now I'm writing nonfiction. And book the idea for book three is also a nonfiction book, but I'd eventually like to get back to writing fiction again. Um, I think it would be fun to be able to write both. Most people usually write one or the other, nonfiction or fiction, but I'd, I'd really like to be able to write both. A couple, a couple summers ago, I did an experiment and I wrote like a serialized, like really long short story on my blog. And I posted like once a week or every other week, I posted a new installment and it was, it was a fun little experiment because I hadn't written fiction in so long. Mm -hmm. And so I'd, I'd like to return to the same characters in that and eventually yeah. write, write enough about them maybe to create a book. Yeah. So. Fascinating. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. The one I'm playing, yeah. well, there's two ideas and they're fiction. And I've, I mean, I don't come from a right, I haven't got any writing experience. Uh, mine just obviously developed my blogs and then I expanded that, but it's a very much my voice. So it's, I think I still need to write in that for a fiction because I don't think I know how to do anything else. I think it would mm. have to be me, but fictional. <laughs> if that makes sense. I don't even know if that makes yeah. sense. But, you know, oh, I, don't, yeah. I don't think I could. And, and these amazing ones with these massively expressive language, I don't think is, I think I'd be faking it completely if I tried to write like that. So right. I think it would have to be like I'm I'm chatting, but whether it'll work out or not, yeah. again, I don't know. I I wrote about 700 words yesterday, so mm -hmm. or this morning might be been this morning. So we'll see again. <laughs> yeah. It'll either work or it won't, and I'll just have one book. Otherwise, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
I'm, I'm sure you'll do more. You know, you've, you've inspired me. Um, cause my husband and I have dreamed of eventually, um, when we retire, getting an RV and mm -hmm. traveling around the country. And I think that would be so inspiring for my writing to be in new environments. And, and um, so I'm hoping we can maybe not have to wait till retirement to do that and, and, and do it sooner. Yeah. Um, as much as I love where I live, I, I would like to travel some more. And I think that would be really helpful for my yeah. imagination. Yeah, well, it's nice to have a wonderful place to come back to, but it's also nice to, no matter how a wonderful place you live, it's nice to experience different cultures or you know, just see different scenery and stuff, isn't it? You know, the, you, mm -hmm. travel is an amazing gift that, that we're mm -hmm. able to do nowadays. So why not, if you can? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, is there anything else you'd like to cover that we haven't spoke about? Is there anything, you know, that you think the listeners would be, that you could help them with or inspire them with or anything? The, the last thing I'd like to say is when the one thing I hope that um, people might get out of my book mm -hmm. is that it's, it's okay to um, question your relationship with alcohol. If, if you're starting to feel like something's not quite right, even if you haven't hit a dramatic rock bottom, it it's okay to question it. It's okay to stop drinking. Um, it's okay to try, you know, like a 30 day, there's lots of 30 day things out there now. Um, and I just, I just like, and I, I feel like this is happening in our society right now. We're sort of having this moment, this sober curious moment where it's okay to say, you know what? I don't know if this is serving me and I don't have to drink. There's no <laughs> law saying that because I'm an adult, I have to drink. So I, I just hope that um, we can just continue helping people feel more open to, to thinking about it and mm -hmm. um, experimenting with it trying to not drink for you know even like seven days yeah. but um and and it might turn out that you decide like you said you know just having it in your life less mm -hmm. um but I just I I just hope people feel like okay maybe maybe that is a habit that that doesn't need to keep going on in the same way that it's mm -hmm. been going on no, I get, and I, yeah, I, I agree. I think it's, I think it's being open to change, isn't it really about anything in that way about your diet mm. and anything. And it's a, it's not being yes. constrained by society's view of what is normal and what you should be doing. And, yes. and again, having people around you who go, oh, okay, what, well, what do you want then? Oh, that's fine, not mm -hmm. having a glass of wine. I've got friends, again, as I said before, but other friends, well, what do you mean you don't want another glass of wine? No, no, I've had one, I'm, I'm, I'm good, or I don't want one tonight, or, you know, you, I, I end up using the driving, well, I'm driving, and you think, mm -hmm. I just don't want a drink. I just mm -hmm. don't want one, you know. Mm -hmm. I suffer from quite a few headaches now as well um, with mm -hmm. the, you know, stuff going on in my head. Um, and so I don't always want a drink and that's okay. But mm -hmm. when I do want a drink, I want a drink. 
that's okay too for me so it's, right. just, it's just not having that that society pressure I think and I assume that's kind of partly what what you're saying yes that and we I think we get stuck in these patterns in mm-hmm. so many ways um patterns in our life of you know self-doubt was a pattern for me like questioning myself and it's it's okay to break those patterns it's okay to think about them and think about why they started and why they're continuing and then try something different it doesn't it doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you that you're you know I think people struggle with this idea that, oh, am I an alcoholic or is there something wrong with me? And it it's okay to change your behavior. Um, it doesn't mean you're weak. It doesn't mean you're a failure. Um, it's just deciding to do things differently. Yeah, absolutely. No, totally agree. You're amazing. Thank oh, you. Thank you. If people want Sorry, to find yeah. you and follow you and find your book and stuff, what where can they? I mean, I'll put links below and, and stuff. Okay. Yeah. on here so but where can I find yeah. so um my web address is lisamaybennett.com may is spelled like the month Bennett has two n's and two t's oh. in it. um and I'm on social media with the same name Lisa May Bennett on on pretty much all platforms mm-hmm. um I can't believe I'm on TikTok you're on TikTok um I I find it all a bit, I, yeah I occasionally read a bit of my book but most of the time it's there's a picture yeah. of my book and I'll just write something <laughs> yeah I actually haven't done anything on TikTok in a while I yeah. probably need to I probably need to do something new on there soon there are people who post on TikTok like five times a day I don't know how they do it I started but, doing it three uh, times a day but it just was not sustainable uh, so trying to no. do it today but ugh. yeah <laughs> so yeah so Lisa May Bennett Mm-hmm. pretty much that's how to find me um and my book is called my unfurling and um and it's available yeah, I, where can they find it so right now um it's on amazon it's mm-hmm. exclusive to well the ebook is exclusive to amazon because it's on kindle unlimited yeah. um uh the the print book can be ordered online I think a couple different places other than Amazon Barnes and Noble has it Walmart has it I think there are some other outlets that have it um presumably and then the website and stuff as well where they can find it yes yeah all the links are on my website yeah and the audiobook is now out now too exciting Um, so yeah oh that's absolutely amazing I'm so glad we've got to chat properly yes yes um, and not just texting it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you and um I'll look forward to seeing the end of book two and hear yes. <laughs> when, when um, you're ready to reveal them. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. You take care and thank you so much for coming yeah. on. Thanks. Yep. Lisa. Bye. Thanks. Bye. If you've got this far and you're still listening, thank you so, so much. But seriously, who knew we'd learn that today? If you've enjoyed this episode, please rate and review where you listen to your podcast and follow me on social media where you can hear about upcoming episodes and also find out where to buy But Seriously Who Knew, my book all about my cancer experiences, plus a bit more.